0: Let's read together from verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. But I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, though some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, and by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we lift this scripture up to you, Lord. We pray, Father, this resurrection day, God, that your Holy Spirit would be with us, that you would guide us, lead us. We ask, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, we pray that you have prepared the soil of the heart to receive the seed of the word and, God, that your word would go forth and accomplish that which it is sent to. Lord, we ask that you might be glorified in this place and and honored in this place. So Lord, we lift it to You. And we give You thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Easter morning, Resurrection Day, that's the, the beginning of the birth pangs. Oh, you see, the church would be birthed about 40 days later. But at this time, you see the beginning of it happening. You see really what the Gospel is all about. and And a lot of times, we want to be... We want to be able to acknowledge, sometimes we get things backwards these days. And we can forget what it is that that God declared in uh, in the gospel and what he declared on that resurrection day. A lot of times we go around and we realize that scripture tells us right here, Paul says, we preached and we hear that word preach and you guys think of what I do standing up here. Somebody opening up the scripture, maybe uh, teaching a few verses, expounding it for you. And, and we think that's what he means. But that's not what that word means. That word does not mean teach in any way. The word for preach means to be a crier. A herald. Now think about what a herald did, especially in those days when he came into a town. The herald didn't come into town and say, Hear ye, hear ye. I have five perfect ways to a, a better and happier you. Come here, I have five better ways to a better and happier you. Was that what a herald did? If he did, he'd get tomatoes in the face. Nobody wants to hear all that noise. What was the herald's job? What was the crier's job? The crier's job was to share only that which was important to the kingdom. Something that shook or shaped or changed or affected the kingdom. Well, if we want to bring it to our common day, a a crier would come into town and tell us about what happened in Brussels. A crier would come to town, we go back a few years and say, uh, in 2001, and would tell us about the World Trade Center. A crier would tell us about a real historic event that happened that was shaping the kingdom right now. That's what the first preachers were. Now, all these years later, we start to twist it around, and we start to offer some other thing. Remember, what's the word gospel mean? Good news. Well, what what was the good news? It wasn't five ways to a better and happier you. It's not ten ways to a, a better marriage. It's not here's how you can deal with your worry and anxiety. It's not all those things. While those things may be great, that's not the good news. The good news is anchored in history. is an irrefutable fact of history. And the only way to argue with the resurrection of Jesus Christ is to become philosophical. Argue philosophically against something historical. And by the way, that's not how you deal with history. With history, we have to go back and And see what's going on. What was being said. What is happening. We need to recognize. The gospel and the initial preachers. And especially the message that Paul preached as he went from town to town. Was a pronouncement of earth shattering world news. Now think about what that pronouncement was. God became flesh. He lived. Worked. Did miracles, was sinless, but he died for our sins, was in the ground three days, and on the third day, he rose. And on the basis of that information, that true historical fact, you have 2,000 years of church history, untold lives turned around. But we get 2,000 years removed and people are so quick, so easy to say, yeah, well, you know, even if it didn't happen, we can really hold on to the message of Easter, right? It's, it's winter now, but spring's coming. Things are bad, but they're going to get better. But is that really the gospel? Is that what Paul intended? Because if we continue in 1 Corinthians 15, if we look at verse 12, this is what he has to say to us. Now, if Christ is preached, that He has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is empty. Do you get what Paul's saying? Everything we do and are and say hinges on that historical fact. And if you were here this morning, I, I shared with you this morning this this idea. Look, <clears throat> I can I can show you historical documents, documents that we have here in the Word of God, which is my Principium Ascendi. That's my foundational everything. Everything co- for me comes back to the Word. If it's in the Word, that settles it for me. But I can show you in the Word historical documents written by eyewitness accounts that tell us Jesus died and rose again. Now, if you want to argue that, you have to show me historical documents from the time of Christ that say the opposite. But you know what you find. They agree that the tomb is empty. There's no body. They could have stopped it all, right? All they had to say is, what are you crazy guys talking about? Jesus' body's right over there. They go go take it and nail it to a tree, hang it out in front of everybody to see. There's your Jesus. He's dead. But what did they have to do? Come up with other stories. Other stories about how the tomb got empty. But here's the irrefutable fact. The tomb is empty. And on that historical premise, lives and direction of the entire world radically changed. Radically changed in that In that moment, look what he goes on to say. He says, yes, we are also false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up if in fact the dead don't rise. So Paul's saying, look, if there's no resurrection, we're all liars. We're all liars. Why are you listening to us? If there's a body, if there's another tomb somewhere, you know when all those crazy things come up. 2,000 years later. 2,000 years later. I want to ask you a question. What do you think is the number one thing that keeps people from accepting the truth of the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done? What do you think it is? Sometimes people say, it's evidence. There's not enough evidence. If only there was more evidence. I'm reminded of a story that Jesus told where there were... Two guys who had died. One was a rich man, had plenty all his life. Another man, his name was Lazarus. It's interesting that Jesus knows one of their names and not the other. Why do you think that is? Think about some other things that Jesus said. Many will say to me in those days, Lord, Lord, and I will say, Depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never, Well, how's it go? I never knew you. I didn't know you. I didn't know. It's two guys. Rich guy, Lazarus. Rich guy had it all. Lazarus had nothing his entire life. Now I want you to remember a couple things about this story. One, this is not prosperity doctrine. What do I mean? The, The poor man didn't have nothing his whole life. Never caught a break. He ate crumbs from the rich man's tables. And there was never a point where it all turned over and he got it all. That story didn't happen. It says he lived like that his entire life and then he died. And he went to Abraham's bosom. He went to glory. <coughs> rich man also died. And he, he went to Hades, the grave, the holding place, waiting for the judgment. And the rich man, looking across the chasm, he sees, he sees the Lazarus over there. And he says, Lazarus, Lazarus, come bring me a, a drop of water to cool my tongue. And Abraham, standing beside Lazarus, He says, you know, he can't come to you. You can't come to us. And so the rich man said, well, do me a favor. Go tell my brothers. Go tell them about this place. They don't know this place is real. They don't think it's really here. So you go tell them. You remember what Abraham said? They have the law and the prophets. And if they won't believe that, neither will they believe even if someone is to rise from the dead the greatest thing that holds people back from receiving and believing what god has done for them is sin and the number one need for all men everywhere is to repent and believe now you say, oh, come on, if I just had a little bit more evidence, if you could tell me how creation really worked out, or if you could tell me, you know, for a fact, there was some way we could absolutely prove beyond all shadow of a doubt that all this stuff was real, then I'd be right there with you. But let me tell you, the problem is exactly what the Bible declares. The Bible declares you love your sin. And you'll take any excuse. The Bible says that Jesus came into his own and his own would not receive him. They didn't want him. He says, this is the condemnation of those for whom he came, those to whom he came. He came to shine the light. But what did he say? But men love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. We like our sin. That's what holds us, not evidence. Jesus, you got eyewitness accounts. You have so many witnesses, you don't even know what to do with them all. Do you see the list he lists out? well, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, you guys all remember Peter, he denied the Lord three times, right, and and Jesus had a a private meeting with him, and then he had a meeting together with the twelve with him, wherein, you remember the the story where, where Jesus says, Peter do you love me, three times, right, and he confirms that he has a purpose and a plan for Peter, he's going to use Peter, even though Peter's not perfect, isn't that good news, I'm going to use you, Peter, even though you're not perfect. He he appears to the twelve. That's a a fancy term for when they're all gathered together. He appears to them. He uh, he appears, Scripture goes on, to 500 at one time. Just in case you think somebody might have hallucinated or had a dream. And every time we see an appearance of Christ, I just want you to know we're not talking a vision. And we're not talking a dream. It's not like these guys... Come in, in, you know, from a long night, and they say to the other disciples, "Guys, had this incredible dream that Jesus is alive, and I think is really true." No, what does the Bible tell us? They touched him. When's the last time you touched somebody in a dream? You could feel it. I never have dreams like that. I have dreams where big, crazy, gnarly bad guys are chasing me with fangs and teeth, and I can't run. You ever have those dreams? One time I had that dream, and I thought, in my, sometimes you know, you can think how you want that dream to go. You know, look, I'll fix this. I'm going to dream I got my gun. So it was like that. I dream I got my gun. Boom, there's my gun. Nothing in it. It's like a little club. That's just great. wasn't a dream, man. It was real. They, touched, they ate with him. When's the last time you ate with a dream? They ate. They spent time, they visited, they did all of these things. Well, here's what we need to understand about (coughs) the message of Christianity. It is essentially, first and foremost, a pronouncement of a real historic event that took place that changes everything else. It's a pronouncement. I got good news. Let me tell you what took place. And when you understand that news, think about all the other things that will change in your life. It will change the way you deal with worry. It will change the way you think about competition or how you compete with others. It will affect all your relationships, how you relate to other people. That one piece of historic evidence, if we can know it, if we can understand it. It's funny because all religion until Christianity were really for the cultured and successful people. Just think about that for a minute. All other religions, they were for the cultured and successful. Your average person in the Roman Empire, do you know what he was? The average person was a slave. Slave. In slavery. Was a drag. Not, uh, you know, a lot of opportunity for potential in life. You just get sold to somebody else, just a slave, nobody thought much of you, nobody cared much of you. That's where most other religions, most other religions utterly and completely ignored that. But then came this proclamation, this proclamation of a historic event that took place, and when that happened, I just want you to know that the beginning, initial stages of the church flooded through the slaves, flooded through the slaves of the Roman Empire. Why? Was it because their message was five ways to feel better about yourself? Was their message something else or was it something historic that provided for them hope? Hope that wouldn't disappoint. Hope that spurred them on that there was better and greater things that they could hold on to. Do you think when they, when they heard these things, these other ideals, they thought, well now I can handle the relentless you know, life of slavery, now now that I've heard all that good news. But it did happen when they heard about Jesus Christ. The message was hard news, historic news, real news, a world event. God came from outside of history. He came. We wouldn't know of God apart from God coming to us. He condescended to us to reveal Himself. He was born. He died for our sins. And he rose from the dead. It happened in history, and it changed everything. Even your calendar. Unless 2,000 years later, you want to go by the common era. But the reality is, changed it all. Everything in the world radically changed. I don't know, maybe we, we come today to Easter, and we say, you know, I want a feel-good message. It makes me feel good about my life and about the direction things are headed. But in reality, what we need is a message rooted in historic fact. Because if Christ is risen, we have a lot to say. But if Christ is not risen, we don't got nothing to say. Isn't that what Paul just told us? If Christ is risen... There's ways for us to find love. There's ways for us to face suffering and even death. There's ways for us to understand those things, but not if Christ isn't risen. If Christ is not risen, life stinks. And it ain't getting better. But if Christ rose, everything's different. Let's take a look. Chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, good news, good news, which I preach, that's the word, that's, what I, that's the crier, that's the heralding, that I preach to you, which you received and in which you stand. So you heard the news, you received the news, you held on to the news, this is the news. What is the news? He says, by which you, you are saved, if you hold fast to that word which I preached. Unless you believe in vain, if you if you believed if you if you honestly it's a it's an action that takes place in the heart of a man, we all can say things with our lips, right? I say almost every day I wake up, you know today i 'm going to lose weight. you think it's in my heart? I say no, because the reality is I don't care what I get a I get, one day I get a new body, I'll cast this one in and, and see if I can mess up that one. <laughs> one day I'll, I'll put this one out. But you know what, it's, it, when, when it really matters, something will change in my heart, right? And then <clears throat> that'll change. Until then, I'm not really a true believer, am I? A lot of people come to Christ that same way, right? Oh, yeah, I've heard. I believe, sure, I believe He existed, and and I believe He died for my sins and He rose again. But it's all lips. Did it ever move from the the head to the heart? Probably, it probably hasn't, but it needs to. What's the key for that to take place? I think that key is repentance. But let's take a look at what Paul has to say. Verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He was seen by Cephas and by the twelve, and after that by five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, though some have fallen asleep. And after that He was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and last of all, seen by me as a man born outside of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church." The essence of the gospel laid out for us right here in these nine verses. Paul does not say, Hey, this is my philosophy on life. Try it out. That's not what he says. He didn't say, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good philosophy and you know, try to live by this philosophy and it's, it's, it's a really good one. So, so try it. You know, you can have a 90 day money back guarantee. Try it out and see how that works out. It's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul says, these are the facts, you try to refute them. What are the facts? Jesus came, he died, he rose again. And here's the witnesses. Go talk to them. The book of 1 Corinthians was written 20 years after the crucifixion. 20 years after the crucifixion, still a lot of folks (coughs) living in the same area. Says, hey, check it out, go talk to them. Go talk to the guys. Some of them aren't with us anymore, but there's a lot of them who are. Here's my list of sources. Go talk to them. Go speak to them. Go see what you think. But the first thing he lists for us, and I don't want you to skip over it, the first thing he lists as a witness to who and what Jesus Christ did were the scriptures. Do you see that? It says he died according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the Scriptures. He rose again according to the Scriptures. Yeah, you see, the Old Testament Scriptures, many Easter's I've spent time going back, and we've talked about Daniel chapter 9 and Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 just to name a few the Old Testament Scriptures that speak about the crucifixion, what would take place, and the sin sacrifice to the Messiah as He's offered up for the sins of the world. That's why John the Baptist would stand, point at Jesus, and say to all the people around Him, Behold, the Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Where'd he get that idea? Was well, in the Scriptures. It's in the Scriptures. He lays it out for us. In fact, he says, Look, uh, um, you got Peter, you got James, you got the 12, all the 12 gathered together, <clears throat> and 500 that you can check out. And then he also says, and all the apostles. You notice that? Is that not redundant? Do you ever think about that? Well, he says he appeared to the 12, and then he says to the apostles, aren't they the same people? Do you want a short answer or a long answer? <laughs> We had lots of time, man. I got all day. There's like 75 people coming to my house. I'm not in any hurry to get there. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> so so what, what is it? What, let me give you... I'll, I'll be nice. I'll give you the short answer. Here's the short answer. No. And yes. What? Okay, the apostles are those who were sent out. There are specific men that God called... To write their eyewitness accounts, put them into books so that you and I could sit on our laps and read the eyewitness accounts of those who saw Jesus Christ. There were people called apostles. Apostles. People sent out by God. Think about it like this. In the book of Acts, the church is gathered together in Antioch. And they're gathered together in one accord and they're praying. They're looking for direction. And the Bible tells that the Holy Spirit spoke to the people and said, Separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas, for I am going to send them out. That's a perfect description of apostle. Somebody who is sent out. But there were very specific men like James. James is one of these names. Was he one of the disciples? Do you know who James was? He had an important brother, right? What was his brother's name? Jesus, right, so, so he's a brother of Jesus. Wait a minute, there's another guy like that. Who, what's the other one that's got a brother like Jesus? Who was it? Jude. Jude, okay, so we got Jude, and we got James, two brothers of Jesus, who the Bible tells us did not believe that he was who he said he was until when? Until the resurrection. And then what happened? Whoa! Something real, historic happened. Something that they could point to and say, Man, you are exactly who you said you are. This is the most incredible news I've ever heard of. And God ordained them to write two books in the Bible, James and Jude, that we have in our Bibles today. They are part of that group called the Apostles. The Apostles, those who (coughs) wrote Scripture for us. I just want you to understand, that's what this book was all about. That's how the New Testament came to be. This radical thing took place and everybody said, look, you know what, some of these 500 dudes, they were old at the time it happened and they're they're dying. We're not going to have them very long. Somebody needs to write their story. Isn't that what the Bible is? Well, let me ask you, that ever happened to us today? You ever heard people talk about this? You know, we don't have so many World War II vets with us anymore. You know, somebody really should get together with some of those World War II vets, sit down, listen to their stories, and write their stories, or we're going to lose what happened. That's not all that weird, is it? That's how those things come to be, and that's exactly what happened here. Think about Luke. If you've got a minute, just flip over to Luke. Luke's a great example. <clears throat> we'll look at Luke chapter 1, verse 1. I just I just want you to see what's going on. Why did they put this together? Why did they why 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 do we have this scripture? Why do we treat it like this incredible good news, this thing that we need in order to understand what Christ has done for us? Look, <clears throat> inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. Do you pay attention to that? Let me read it for you again. Inasmuch as, what's that word? Many many Yeah, many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. You mean a lot of people were writing this down? Yeah, a lot of people were writing it down. you know that the most well-attested ancient articles is the Bible? We have so many copies because everybody, everybody who could pick up a pen and write would write about the stories, about what was taking place. You had the ones that obviously everybody helped you, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You got uh, copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of all of those. So many copies, in fact. So many copies of every book in the Bible that we can look at those copies and know whether or not somebody tried to snake something in. Did you know that? We can look at it and go, you know what, this wasn't here and now it is. Hmm, that's a problem. You see, God wanted to make sure that His Word got through. And mankind didn't screw it up. So what's Luke say? Look, many people are writing this. There are so many copies. Every time they dig a hole in Israel, they come up with another copy. Oh, Jackie, you're crazy. Really. Egypt. Digging around in Egypt. They come up with a, a mummy. You know every once in a while they find a mummy in Egypt? I don't know why. You guys know? They come up with a mummy. <coughs> this was a poor mummy. You know, rich mummy, they make a, a grave mask, a, a mask for the dead, out of gold. Right? You got, any of you guys seen King Tut? Not Steve Martin's version, the real one. So King Tut, yeah, so, so they would make King Tuts out of gold. But when, they, when they're poor, they make a mask out of paper mache Did you guys know they had paper mache all those years ago? Isn't that amazing? Paper mache. you got to be kidding me. So paper mache, they find this mummy. They reach down they grab the mask. They take the mask off. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but they did. <laughs> I, I can only imagine what it looked like. And they didn't tell me, so I don't know. But the important thing is they took off that mask and they went like this. Gospel of Mark. Right there. In fact, it's the oldest document that we have and it might prove we're still waiting on the results but it might prove that mark was being uh um, shared among the believers in israel almost right on top of the crucifixion i mean like within a year the oldest copy they've ever seen anywhere it's called the markan fragment Obviously, it's not the whole book of Mark. It's in a mask, right? But somebody needed paper for papier-mâché, and some knucklehead grabbed Mark, and he shoved it in there, and people think, oh, I can't believe they would do that with the Bible. Why well, aren't you glad they did? Because now we have a copy. Now we have some. That's God's providence getting, a, getting the message from them to us. And they keep finding more and more and more and more. <clears throat> it's not something to be afraid of. It's something for us to look at and go, Yes! I got what I got in the Bible that I'm sitting on is good. It's attested. I can see it through all those past letters and things that are written. And if something's wrong, it'll show me this is wrong. And you know what? You look in your footnote and it'll say that. See, we tell the truth about our book. Tell the truth. It's right there. How come we leave it? Some people say, well, why just take it out? Because tomorrow they're going to dig it up and find out it was supposed to be there. Aren't they? We don't know, right? We don't have the original autographs. We don't have the first one yet. If we find it, then we'll, then we'll know for sure. But since we don't have it, we leave everything in and, we, and then we make notations. Hey, this is good. This is, this is really good. A uh, little doubtful. We may find more evidence that proves it's good or it might be bogus. But still a good story. Nonetheless, we can look at it. Your Bible on your lap tells you all that information. All you need. Many people sat down to write. Many people wanted to get this this information out. People everywhere they turned were writing this stuff up. That's why there is so many. Thank God there are so many. What if there was only one? What What would you think? Did they get it right? Were all the right pieces in? Did somebody erase it or get the wrong name? But if you have 10,000 copies of it, you can look. Oh, yeah, cool. They got it. We can see it. We can follow the transmission of the text all the way through. He says in verse 2, just as those who were from the beginning, (coughs) who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having a, a perfect understanding of all the things from the very beginning, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent. Theophilus. That's Luke's beginning of his gospel. Why is he writing it? He wants to get all the eyewitness accounts down and out so you can hear the truth of what happened historically. There it is. There it is. Laid out for us. So Paul wrote (coughs) Corinthians roughly 20 years after the crucifixion. And he doesn't say, trust in Jesus and he'll take away your anxiety. He doesn't say, trust in Jesus and you'll have all the power and confidence you need to be a better you. And he doesn't give them Pascal's wager. You guys know Pascal's wager? Pascal's wager goes like this. Well, if I believe in Jesus Christ and you don't, and I'm wrong, I haven't lost anything. But if I believe in Jesus and you don't, and I'm right, you've lost it all. You ever heard that? That's called Pascal's wager. But if Paul doesn't give him Pascal's wager, what's Paul say? This is what happened. This is exactly what happened. If you don't want to believe it, (coughs) don't believe it, but it's not going to be because (coughs) of a lack of evidence, or that it's not true, or that you can't know. It's all laid out for you. Look, he's saying Jesus is not the best bet. He's not a good bet. He's the truth. It happened just like we read, just like we look at in the pages of Scripture. Instead, this is what Paul says, there is no hope unless God Himself punched a hole into the universe. And our Captain, Jesus Christ, He entered in and He opened the cleft in the pitiless walls of the universe for us to come in to Him. He entered in. He was born. He died for our sins. Now He's raised again. He has risen from the dead. And if all that's true, if all of that is true, you can be saved and there's hope for your future. And your sins can be forgiven. You can have a relationship with Almighty God, and the Spirit of God can come into your life and change you. So, if these historical events happen, well, we got a lot to say. And if they did, sometimes I wonder why we walk around acting as though they didn't. Think about Paul. Remember when Paul stood before Agrippa? And Festus, Agrippa, (coughs) Herod Agrippa, and Festus, Paul's been arrested. He's on his way to Caesar. (coughs) Agrippa's trying to decide what he should write about him. So he has him come before him. And Paul tells him the whole story, everything that happened. And then he tells him about the resurrection of the dead. And Festus blurts out, oh, Paul, all your studying has driven you crazy. We all know the dead don't rise. (coughs) You know what Paul said? Oh, you're right. Oh, I can't prove it. Doggone I wish I could have proved it. Oh, you're amazing. I was thinking about dumping it on my head. It's kind of hot in here, no? My jeans and t-shirt are right back there. I almost changed. <clears throat> I had to talk myself out of doing it. because. So just so you know, inside, in here, I'm not wearing this. But anyway... <laughs> But currently I, I am. So, so I want you to think what happened. So, so Festus used a philosophical argument. What's his philosophical argument? We all know the dead can't rise. Unless somebody does. And then we don't know that. Well, oh, how about this? <clears throat> you know, we all know that they're not going to be able, they're not going to be able to infiltrate our training systems and have <clears throat> Islamic terrorists be able to all learn how to fly a plane and then get into a plane and simultaneously hijack four planes on the same day and fly them into four different buildings or places around the entire United States. You know that can't happen. Until what? Until it does. And all of a sudden your philosophical argument goes out the window, right? Boop. So Festus says, look, you know nobody can rise from a dead. You know what Paul does? He says, Festus, talk to Agrippa. Agrippa, Herod, you talk to Agrippa. He knows about all these things I've told you. They weren't done in a corner, it wasn't hidden in the back somewhere. Agrippa knows. You remember what Agrippa says? Oh, Paul, you try it. You almost convinced me to become a Christian. Saddest words on Scripture. You almost convinced me. Almost is not good enough. Was the issue because it didn't happen? Agrippa knew. Right? Don't you think Herod knew what was going on? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. So we look, we see that these things <clears throat> give us examples. But then there you have the greatest, I think one of the greatest evidences, okay? We look and we see the <clears throat> all the all the all the all eyewitnesses, that's cool. And we got the scriptures, that's good. And we see all those things telling us about the coming of Christ. But you know, one of the things that really knocks it out the park for me is Paul. What do you mean? Oh, well, stop assuming you know everything about Paul and, and just listen for a minute. You know Paul saw Jesus teach, right? You know Paul saw Jesus do miracles. You know the likelihood of Paul being involved in the trial, arrest, and crucifixion of Jesus is high. Don't you? He didn't just get born between the resurrection and then the the persecution that spread the church out, right? You have a crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension by Acts chapter 2. By Acts chapter 9, Paul's on the scene. Saved. Preaching. So, yeah, he saw all that. And you know what he was convinced of? He's an imposter. Jesus is an imposter. He's not real. He's just another one of these guys, self-proclaimed messiahs. And as soon as he's dead, all this is going to go away. And he was just sure that he knew all that until what? Until he saw the resurrected Christ. And then what happened to Paul? What, what's the definition of radical Turnaround isn't Paul a definite i mean what's he he's killing Christians in the church, and then a day later he's preaching the good news that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead outside the synagogue, and the people want to kill him shouldn't shock him, right? He was on the other side of the fence one time don't you understand why Paul had this burden? Always go to synagogues? Because those were the guys he was hanging out with. Those were the guys that he would sit around and talk about what a joke Jesus was. And then he met Jesus. And then he saw him. And then he knew that everything that they had said about him was true. And then you could not shut that guy up. You hit him with a two-by-four. He'd keep talking. He was not ever going to quit. Not ever going to stop. Why? Because he knew it was true. Is it any different for Peter? James? John? The other uh, disciples, the other apostles, <coughs> they got beat with rods. You guys know what that's like? So they take this long rod, and they bear your back, and they take you down there just outside the, the temple area. Remember they caught them preaching in the temple. And it says they beat them, just a little phrase, they beat them. And the disciples <laughs> left singing praises and glorifying the Lord, that they were counted worthy to suffer for His name. Those are the same guys who all ran scared. What happened? They saw Jesus. They didn't dream about Him. They didn't see a vision. It wasn't something else. They saw Him. They sat with Him. They ate with Him. They touched Him. They talked to Him. They received from Him what He had to give to us. And then they wrote it down. So that you and I can look at the truth of the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can look at it and say, now what are you going to do with it? Look, there's, you got lots of choices. <clears throat> you can be apathetic. You can say, you know, I don't really care. What do I care? I don't care. Well, that's alright. The Bible says, right? Light came to the darkness, but the darkness did not conceive it. Why? Because they liked the light, or they liked the dark." They liked the dark because their, their deeds were evil. They liked the dark. You might not want the light. You might not want it. But that doesn't stop it from being real. You might ridicule it. Oh, that's the dumbest thing I've heard of. Everybody knows a dead man can't rise. Better know. You know, our history is full of things we just knew until we knew we didn't know it. Moons made out of cheese. The earth is flat, and if I drain all the blood out of your body, I'll make you better. Oh, you don't remember those? Yeah, but nobody else knew any different, right? Nobody knew any different. Oh, there's little problems. The Bible said the earth was round like a sphere, and it hung on nothing. Oh, it did? Yeah, 2,000 years before that crazy thing called science we got. The Bible said life was in the blood. But it's a little better than 200 years ago we drained all the blood out of a president trying to cure him. Because we just know that the sickness is in the blood. But what the problem is, the Bible said different. We just knew that was wrong. We just knew the earth was flat. We just knew the moon was made out of cheese so we walked on it and found out there's a bunch of dust up there, right? (coughs) Okay, that was a joke. That's not real. But you guys get the point? No? We just know we know stuff until we find out we don't know what we thought we knew. And you know what? None of those things have ever proven the Bible wrong. Ever. Not one time. Not one time. You can pitch it, and you can say, I don't want to hear it, and I don't want to listen to it. But you can't say it didn't happen. And you certainly can't point to any historical fact that says he didn't rise. Or that the tomb still has his body in it. And if you come with me to Israel, I'll take you in the empty one. You'll say, oh, that, how do I know that's a real one? Just walk in it. Just walk in it. You tell me after. So we look at this. It says in, in 1 Corinthians 15. <coughs> excuse me, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love this. Look, this is the this is message of the gospel. I was, but by the grace of God, now I am. You get it? Once I was, I just knew all this other stuff, but you know, now by the grace of God, I am what I am. I was a persecutor of the church, but now I've been changed. What have I been changed by? I've been changed by the power of a living Savior who's in the world today, seated on the throne. He is the only king I ever need. And the Bible tells us, one day, he will come again. By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. We spread the word. We told the truth. That's what Resurrection Day is all about. That's what Resurrection Day is all about. It's not a philosophy, it's a reality that death cannot hold him. Death could not hold him. Jesus Christ becomes the receipt, the proof that the sacrifice took. Right? We talked about this morning. How long you go? If you go to jail for two years, how long are you in jail for? Not a trick question. Two years. <clears throat> At the end of two years, what happens? They let, you go. they let you go. You come out of jail, and your debt is paid. So if you die, and you rise again, and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, so you're supposed to be held by death. Death owns you. You're just stuck in death, and you can't get out. But then Jesus Christ dies, goes into the bowels of death, and then blows death apart and comes walking back out. That's why the early Christians were so full of joy. That's why the early Christians were so blown away. Listen, Paul would write this in Romans 1.4. Jesus Christ is declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection of the dead. Death cannot hold Him. Peter, speaking his first message, right? Peter's radical change in his life. Now he's a preacher. He's heralding the good news. Here's what he says, Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it is impossible that he should be held by them. Death could not hold him. He defeated death. Death swallowed him and he exploded. And now death has been defeated. If we look at the rest of this chapter in verse 54 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, So when this corruptible, this old broken down body, puts on incorruption... When this mortal (coughs) has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin was the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law and died as a sinner for you and I. And then rose to say, you're good. That's why faith in Jesus Christ sets us free. So I want you to listen to what Paul's attitude was. Here's Paul's attitude. Spare not death. Do thy worst. For if you reach out to hold me and grab me and choke me, all you can do is make me better than I was before. Knock yourself out. Reach out. Get me. All you can do is make me more glorious than I was before. Death, I taunt you. I take a football and shake it in your face. I'm doing a hot dog dance before you, death. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Don't you see what Paul's saying? If the proclamation is true, if all of this happened, it radically changes everything. Our preaching's not useless. It's useful. It helps us to understand exactly what it is that God has for us. You have a way to handle everything in life because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The scariest, worst thing that can ever happen to a human being does not have to be scary or bad for you. Ever. Faith in Jesus Christ sets us free. So you shout out, come on crosses, the lower you lay me, the higher you'll raise me. Think about it. The lower you lay me, the higher you raise me. What can you do to me? Kill this body and deliver me into the hands of my Savior who gives me a new one that works better? One that can fly, move around, do crazy stuff? Yeah, where's the downside again? The lower you lay me, the higher you'll raise me. Come on, crosses. All these threats you can make. Listen, Jesus is the risen Lord and He's in charge of everything. He's sitting on the throne in heaven, according to Daniel chapter 7. He's sitting on the throne in heaven until God makes all His enemies His footstool. Until the battle is all over, He is the King. He's working all things out for my good. Even the bad things that happen to me. Even the difficult things that go on in my life. So come on, crosses. The lower you lay me, the higher you'll raise me. What can death do? Don't you see when the slaves heard that message, what that, how that changed their life? Are you kidding me? I'm not gonna, I thought my whole life was just living a slave, dying a slave, and life sucks all the time. But now you're telling me that someone's defeated death? I don't ever have to die? And if I die, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. No man dies. I don't lose anybody. You die, you're with me. You close your eyes here, you open your eyes in my arms, hearing me whisper into your ear, well done, good and faithful servant. How can that kind of message get you down, make you low? Come on, crosses, the lower you lay me, the higher you raise me. Come on, death, the worst thing you can do for me will be the best thing that could ever happen to me. You have translated me and transferred me into the presence of my Savior. What do I have to fear? Now are you using that understanding of the resurrection to propel you to joy in life? To understand that you can have incredible joy. Just like the early Christians. They weren't made of different stuff than you and I. They just saw their life through the truth of the resurrection. Through the reality. Not some philosophical concept about a better life. Not some philosophical concept about how life don't have to be hard. Just the reality. Jesus rose from the dead. Death is defeated. Yeah, one day all this is done. And things get infinitely better. And I can't lose anybody in Christ. I can't lose anybody in Christ. If I can't lose anybody in Christ, wouldn't that make me want to tell people about him? Don't I want to tell my loved ones, my friends, my family, I can't lose anybody in Christ. Man, you have Christ. It's you and me Till the wheels fall off. And the wheels never fall off. It's forever. And ever. And ever. That message should resonate in joy. It should bring forth joy. Those early Christians, they looked at death and they said, you can't hurt me. Because of the resurrection. They looked at their masters and said, you know, you're not such a pain in the neck anymore. And then master started getting sl- saved. And then master started setting slaves free. And then people started looking around at these poor people who started this church that, that nobody really paid any attention to ever but they just said you know the truth is Jesus rose from the dead and that changed everything changed Paul's life, changed Peter's life, changed the slaves life, next thing you know you got this blowing up church, people getting saved all over the place, radical things happen and they changed their world, their world was sideways, upside down, Caesar's killing people, all kind of craziness going on in the world just like our world today but it was a revival of the church that changed all that Because the church believed He is risen from the dead. That is the good news. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.